Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast with my usual co-pilot, uh, Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. Awesome. Welcome back to the Tim May Podcast or welcome back aboard. <laughs> I'm now ready for departure. Uh, buckle up. Put your seat trays in the full and locked position. Thanks for joining us. And that's, that's, that's all the co-pilot gets to do, ladies and gentlemen. Yours truly uh, handles the controls. Uh, but I digress. You know, I'm a co-pilot today. I mean, let's, let's have truth in podcasting. You're sitting down in, in the middle of the – in the heart of Texas, really. Uh, right deep now. in the heart of Texas. <laughs> deep in the heart of Texas where the stars are bright and big at night. Uh, so we're going to get into a couple of things uh, after my guest, my interview with my guest, Bill Bender from the Sporting News – uh, and midway through this podcast, you and I are going to come back and we're going to talk about some things that are going on because Bill and I talked about, you know, quarterback battles going on across the country. They're going to kind of shape, you know, the national championship picture coming up this coming season. And a lot's getting done this spring in that regard. Of course, we're not going to get a definitive answer from Ryan Day about who his starting quarterback is probably until what the availability report for the first game this coming season. Probably when they run out there and take the first snap of the season, we'll find out who the starting quarterback is. But, uh, I mean, we've seen that before at Ohio State. Uh, just whisper in that guy's ear and run out there. I'm not sure that was the best uh, approach. And uh, by and large, you'd like the rest of the team to know who that guy is going to be much earlier than that. Yep. I think that, that will I, – I sort of think that this will happen in the middle of August and not all the way up until game time. Uh, I think there's – I actually wrote – last week on bold predictions that I think it'll probably be, there'll be some indications of who's in the lead by the end of that spring game. We'll, we'll see if that works out or not. Yep. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think Ryan day is going to be deep in secrecy mode all the way up till kickoff with this one. Yeah. And here's the thing is people know, people know us, people know you, you and me and uh, <clears throat> any other media is covering this thing, whether or not, whether they define a number one quarterback at the end of spring after the spring game, we're all going to draw conclusions from that spring game, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, uh, if you want just uh, the wrong message floating out there for four months, you know, don't define it. way I look at it, right? Well, I mean, that's true at every position, you know. it's Yeah, but quarterback, you know this, man. Quarterback's I know. I know. different. I know. Um, and, and, again, that goes back to letting that person become the leader, letting them – you know, you, Correct. If, they all, if they all three do slightly different things, the way that you're structuring the offense to maximize their strength. We talked to Kevin Wilson about that late last week. Um, you know, if you're going to win a national championship, you know, the sooner that you can actually establish that, that continuity, that chemistry, whatever, you know, word buzzword you want to use for that. That's the, that's the position that will determine it. Obviously you're going to have to, if you're going to be in the college football playoff, you have talent at every other position, but where you win, where you elevate is when you are confident with that guy um, at quarterback. You're, the days of being able to roll out a game manager and win two games in the postseason, I think those are gone. Correct. I think you you might be right. You might be right. <clears throat> of course, you never know until it actually happens. Uh, right. But we're going to come back. We're going to talk about after my conversation with Bill Bender. We're going to come back. We're talk about that. We're just barely. We're going to barely touch on basketball just a little bit because I think you and I both have some thoughts coming out of that the weekend that was for the Ohio the weekend that was, if they'd rather not remember, that was for the Ohio State basketball team. Uh, but you know what? Uh, let's go quickly uh, right now to my conversation with one of my irregular guests, and I mean irregular as in attendance, not irregular as in persona, uh, Bill Bender of the Sporting News. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with one of my favorite recurring guests. It's kind of like the Seinfeld show. Uh, Bill Bender, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast. Hey, Tim, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, Bill Bender of the Sporting News, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as, uh, as Awesome Ward and I were talking about, you know, he, he, uh, he's from Pickerington, but he pretty much covers the world, and uh, at least especially the world of college football and, and for the most part, the world of college basketball, Bill. And I wanted to get into a couple of things with you before we talk about a little bit about March Sadness, that is the Big Ten. Uh, but uh, bottom line is uh, – uh, what, do you, what are you feeling? What are you hearing about Ohio State that's piqued your interest uh, this spring? And we're going to get into a couple other things you're hearing around the country, just about quarterback battles going on that are going to kind of shape, I think, the national championship race again, you know, 2021. But uh, 
Well, it's just picking your interest about what you're picking up from reporters like uh, Austin Ward and myself and, and others who cover Ohio State that's uh, kind of you're curious about. Well, you have a quarterback battle in Columbus, obviously. I mean, any anytime you lose an NFL quarterback like Justin Fields, um, the the replacement's going to pique a lot of interest. It reminds me a little bit of when JT Barrett was done. But that battle between Burrow and Haskins and Tate Martell was a lot more glitzy than what you guys got going on this spring. I mean, there's Stroud, there's McCord, obviously Miller's in the mix. Yeah. I mean, you guys probably got a better handle on who's going to win that job. But obviously, Ohio State, like Alabama, like Clemson, you know, the three major powers in the sport, all three of them are going to have a different quarterback. We know who Clemson's is going to be. I think we got a pretty good idea about who Alabama's is going to be in Bryce Young. But how do those three guys kind of handle the mantle from three guys last year, Lawrence Fields and Mac Jones, who are going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft here in a month? Yeah. As you look at those teams, let's start with Ohio State. How constructed is Ohio State to make another run, in your opinion, because they're replacing so many guys on defense and on a defense that against the pass was 122nd in the nation, if you follow my drift. So maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) But uh, how constructed are those three teams in particular, do you think, to make another run, to be in that Final Four, uh, you know, nine, ten months from now? Well, uh, every – Preseason prediction starts with those three schools. You know? I know. Which, but is that fair? Is that fair this time? Go ahead. Yeah. Yes. I mean, because they have the most talent. I mean, you really start with those three and work your way down. And I think the only other two schools that probably jump out right off the page early is one, Georgia. Um, they're going to have a ton of talent. They have an experienced quarterback in JT Daniels, and they have enough four and five star accumulated players to run with an Alabama or a Ohio State or a Clemson. I don't think anybody else in the Big Ten has that much talent that, that could give Ohio State a serious run right now. Um, yeah. And then the other team, and you might laugh a little bit, but Oklahoma does have returning yes. quarterback, does have returning skill positions. You know they're going to score a ton of points in the Big 12. And Spencer Rattler, if we were doing Heisman polls right now, I haven't looked at the Heisman odds. I would guess that he's right there as the favorite, uh, given the Oklahoma track record of scoring points. So, I mean, those are the five schools that starts. When I do my preseason projections, Tim, I look at three things. I look at a team's quarterback. I look at their defensive line depth. And then I look at their offense, offensive line. And I think you got to start looking at receivers. And that's what sticks out the most with the Buckeyes, Tim. They have the probably the deepest receiving core in the country. And it starts with maybe – well, I don't want to say maybe. I mean, going into the season, that's the best one-two punch with Olave and Wilson for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And they got those young guys coming up, champing at the bit, man. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. If they're recruiting rankings, as I like to say, if they're only three-quarters right, you know, Ohio State looks pretty good, you know, in, in that regard. Yeah. You know, with the with the four and five stars they've signed over the last several years, just like Alabama, just like Clemson. Hey, you know, what? what is the – as you're watching the spring throughout the country – and some guys are even wrapping up spring drills as we speak or have already wrapped them up. But uh, what's a team you've definitely got your eye? Is it Texas? I mean, can can Sarkeesian change things that quickly in Texas to, to take them from like middle of the road, um, average to really good, uh, you know, in a nutshell? I mean, you know, he was actually doing a pretty good job at USC until his problems surfaced. But uh, just what's your take, for example, about Texas and then maybe about LSU, for example, is LSU on a downward spiral? Just what's your take? Well, I think LSU is going to have to fight off Texas A&M in that division. Texas A&M made serious progress last year. Jimbo's done a good job recruiting four- and five-star talent, and that started to show up in the second half of last year. I mean, yeah, they lost to Alabama handily, but they were still in the playoff discussion in the last week of the season. And that kind of ties into the Texas answer is Texas can Sarkeesian recruit well. I mean, Ohio State, Alabama – LSU, Oklahoma have all rated that state over the past five to seven years for top-rate talent. I mean, how many Buckeyes, Tim? You know them all. I mean, off the top of my head, it's J.K., Barron. You got all these guys. You got all these guys still around. And then you've got, you know, Donovan Jackson is going to be stepping up, you know, Mm -hmm. into the mix maybe uh, immediately, you know, on the offensive line. I mean, yeah, there's all all kinds of, like, uh, uh, players and – and specifically, you know, they've targeted guys in that regard, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
from Rockwall, right up the road from uh, from Dallas. There's a guy that you know could really wide receiver that last year was not a really good year for guys to like, explode onto the scene unless like at Alabama, you know, the Waddle kid got hurt and Devontae Smith became the focal point of that passing attack. And all he did was win the Heisman Trophy because of it. But you're right. Ohio State picks and goes in there and picks and chooses just like Alabama does and a lot of other teams do. And that's why it's tough because Steve Sarkeesian is not just competing with with uh, with Texas A&M. He's competing with Ohio State and Alabama and USC and others for the top talent in that state. Well, and, you know, it's been talked about, and you know, I've talked about this before. Texas should never be bad. No. Uh, they should never be seven and six or eight and five. It's kind of the same thing with USC. USC should never be eight and five. I would argue that Ohio State should never be eight and five because of the organizational philosophy they have in Columbus where, yeah, I mean, when's the last time they had an eight-win season? Was it the Luke Fickle year? They, they, Luke, always get- they went six and seven. Yeah, they went six right. and seven in 2011, one of the craziest uh, years known to man. Right. You're right. Go ahead. But they're not going to be eight and five. You know, and, and I think that's going to be the challenge for Sarkeesian is Texas doesn't expect to go eight and five. They expect to go 12 and one every year. Yep. And they've got to climb the Oklahoma mountain because to me, like I said, when you look at this time of the year and my buddies get kind of annoyed with it, I text them every time when the season starts. I was like, well, here's the national title contenders. And it's a pretty short list. It's Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. And I don't even think Oklahoma is a national championship contender and that until they show me they can win a semifinal. Yeah. Right. How many yeah. times are we going to watch them lose to an SEC team in a semifinal? So I think that's kind of the albatross hanging over, not only over Lincoln Riley, the same thing's going to hang over Steve Starkeesian. But I will say this I wouldn't judge him on his past two coaching stops at Washington and USC. I think he learned from Saban. He did a, yes. I mean, I say fans know he called play. Uh, and, um, I think he deserves that benefit of the doubt for what is one of the toughest jobs in the country. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, uh, just look at all the guys who've come from the Bill Belichick coaching tree and uh, the leaves curled up quickly. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you just because you coast with a guy doesn't mean you can bring that same kind of uh, uh, program to, to bear at the place you're hired to, you know, you're going to copy a lot of things, but you got to figure Saban, that's that old line, you know, I didn't teach you everything I know. I taught you, all, I taught you all, you know, but I didn't teach you everything that I know. And uh, that's kind of the case with Saban because he rose through assistant coaches, man, as much as he, more than he does starting quarterbacks. I mean, it's crazy what he's done down there with just a, a treadmill, uh, well, conveyor belt of assistant coaches. And I, I applaud him as much for that as anything else. I mean, you know, Ryan Day, man, he was, he was bound to determine he was going to hold on to his coaching staff this year and then elevated from within Parker Fleming uh, to that to that one open spot. And, uh, you know, that's why everybody thinks Ohio State, you know, at least get those guys that cover it, there's a continuity going on there that's uh, undeniable. But there's a continuity going on at Alabama, even though they've changed three or four assistant coaches and coordinators, it seems, every year or almost every year. Agreed? Oh, for sure. And, and I think – you know, Nick Saban, obviously, they're going to have another offensive coordinator, but the last couple have done all right. Lynn Kiffin did a nice job there, parlayed it into a head coaching job. Um, yeah. Sarkeesian was brilliant in that role, parlayed it into a head coaching job. And now Ryan Day, I think, I like their ability to promote with within. I know there was a big thing with how Washington, maybe, maybe not going to Tennessee, and the fact that he chose to stay shows that he is committed to this coaching staff. Continuity matters. There's two ways to go about it. I mean, Alabama's had a lot of coaching turnover, but they still have Nick Saban. Clemson, on the other hand, total continuity with Brent Venables and Tony Elliott. I think with Ohio State and Oklahoma, the biggest draw to those schools right now is one, whether it's Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley, you're getting a guy that's going to develop your quarterback into a first-round talent, and Ryan Day's done that twice already. And Oklahoma's obviously on the way to another one. And then two – the fun off playing. I mean, the receivers at Ohio State, they, they know that it's got to be fun to play in there. And I think that's why Ryan bristled so much at this one read criticism of Justin Fields. And I say that to people all the time. Well, if the first guy's open, you should probably throw it to him. Then we can worry about the rest later. Yeah. Well, I, like that's I, Ryan Day's I, words, not mine, Tim. That's, yeah. that's what no, he's, he's, no, he's, he's right. right. 
I just talk. I'm, I'm, I always wonder if he like secretly listens to my podcast every now and then or some of the other things I do, because like I pointed out, you know, the, the, the secret about big time college football is most of the you've got some pretty sharp guys drawing up plays. And one of those guys is Ryan Day and they're drawing up plays to get guys wide open. You know what I mean? Or to get to get that primary wide open. And, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes it does become a little bit of a uh, of a cluster when that first guy isn't open, especially if three guys have all run curl routes. But my point is, uh, you know, that's what that's the difference between college football and pro football. You do go through progressions in pro football, and there have been it's been rare that a guy has ever just moved into pro football and been able to read top to bottom or whatever progression right. you want him to go on uh, a ver- very well right out of the gate with all this other stuff that's going around from, from calling blitz control, uh, you know, blitz pickups and things like that at the line of scrimmage. You know, whoever picks it, you know, name me five guys who've ever picked that up just like that who weren't maybe scramblers, you know what I mean? And they, they covered up. You know, like Patrick Mahomes has gotten to cover up for a lot of maybe early shortcomings by the ability to get out of the pocket and make things happen on his own. And uh, and I'm talking about still throwing the ball down the field. Russell Wilson was a great example of that. You know, he went to Seattle. So, yeah, I didn't mean to get off on that tangent, but, you know, I just – No, you're good. I just love how people do just, you know, because you don't know whether you've picked the right guy until about the third game of the second year if he gets that far, if you follow my drift. And then well, yeah, it yeah. becomes reality. And I, yeah, and I think, again, Riley and Day are two of the best play callers in college football right now. And you saw Justin Fields' ultimate high upside in the Clemson game. Did he struggle a little bit against Alabama? Of course. Yeah. But some of that was predicated on the fact that Alabama had a pretty good play caller too, Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian. And, and that what's the biggest interesting change to me in the college game right now is that wide receiver has become as important as ever getting those mismatches on the perimeter LSU did that two years ago with Joe Burrow you know Ohio State's doing it in the Big Ten it's not a new development yeah. that would happen before that you know certain Big Ten schools just can't cover Ohio State on the perimeter um, nobody could cover Alabama on the perimeter last year Ohio State wasn't the only team that couldn't do it. Nobody could. And no. if Jalen Waddle was 100%, that game would have been worse. Yeah. You had to go into those games against Alabama willing, not only willing, but able to dance all night offensively. You know, that's uh, the deal. And very few teams could match that. Well, nobody could match it. <laughs> I mean, the closest was Mississippi, Ole Miss, right. you know, and uh, it was interesting how they went about it. You know, they went about it with a power running game as much as anything else, as much as throwing the ball to the edge. And uh, Ohio State, as soon as Trey Sermon went out of that game, uh, and then Master Teague III had to leave with a head bump. And you got Marcus Crowley, who's just barely coming back from the knee injury he'd suffered the year before and still wasn't 100%. You know, Ohio State was almost playing left-handed, and it showed, you know. But uh, I digress from there. Hey, real quick, you know, you've been covering college basketball a lot too, you know, in the, in, uh, through the years. And I'm, as I labeled it a while ago, when you and I were talking, this has kind of been March sadness for the Big Ten. Uh, what's going on, Bill? I mean, you're wearing your green today uh, as we record this on Monday. Ohio, you advanced out of the out of the what do you call it? The third round now, second round. It's the second round, right? I yeah. mean, it's what the NCAA we, calls it. We all call it. We're the first recording round. before the. Yeah, we're recording before the Creighton game, and you know, obviously, as an OU alum, I was super excited Saturday. It was, it was very cool to beat them Virginia. And a fun fact, um, they are one of two schools that have won three times as a 13 seed or lower in the first round. The only other one is Richmond, who, you know, back in the 80s was a giant killer when they beat Indiana, when they beat uh, Syracuse as a yeah. two seed or a 15 seed. So OU, when they get in the tournament, I mean, this is three times in 11 years where they've won the first round game. And um, I don't do that move where I even try to compare them to Ohio State. But I do bristle a little bit when Ohio State fans come after OU. It's like, what? this shouldn't you just be happy for each other, right? Most, yeah. most of the guys I went to OU with were Ohio State fans anyway. So it worked out in that regard. So I'm just really happy with the alma mater doing what they've done. And hopefully when your listeners hit this, they're in the Sweet 16 and getting ready to take on the ultimate Cinderella and Gonzaga next week. So, I, you know, that's where I'm at with that. Um, that's it's exciting though. Let me interrupt you. It's exciting though because I, you know, I covered OU when they won in Providence way back when, and mm-hmm. then when they won in uh, Nashville 
and went on to the Sweet 16, uh, you know, in St. Louis. What was that? Well, how many years ago was that? I'm trying to remember. John Gross. It was 2012. Yeah. I mean, so that, that was I go all the way times. back to Gary Trent. Yeah. yeah, Gary Trent and the Shack of the Mac. And, you know, it's it's fun for you to have success. But you won't see me posting those memes on Facebook with Winnie the Pooh and Ohio State and OU. I don't – I'm not that guy. But um, as far as the – out there did they beat each other up did they you know did they get in the tournament were they tired I my personal opinion and, and I'll use Ohio State as an example I, I I think Ohio State had the wrong game plan against Oral Roberts they were it looked like they were trying to play to 65 and Oral Roberts got a ton of shots up in, in my opinion you go out and knock them out and it's different styles and as as my colleague Mike DeCourcy has said this tournament has shown that sometimes it's better to be different than good. And here's a couple examples. Syracuse, that zone defense, it's different. How many times have we seen Jim Beheim do this, where they're not a very good team, so to speak, yeah. in the regular season, but they make this run in the tournament. Oral Roberts goes to the Sweet 16. They've got a good big man, by the way. Played well against the Buckeyes. And yes. um, Loyola took it to Illinois. That's probably the most surprising to me because I get, you know, it's exciting to see Sister Jean in the tournament. I'll never – say anything bad about that it's a really cool story um very surprised at how they just hand they handled illinois um at the time of this podcast you know we don't know where iowa is michigan has a tough matchup against lsu it's been an an interesting year for the big 10 in terms of it was the best conference in the regular season but sometimes especially this year it might not show up in the tournament yeah i agree but i mean i'm just bristle every year when a when a when a league gets more than five or six teams in, like a, like the Big Ten did this year with nine. The MAC gets one. I mean, give me a break. You know, what I mean, just give me a break. Uh, give give a few other people a shot. You know, I mean, for, for one thing, nine aren't even going to make the aren't even going to make the eight. You know what I mean? The final eight. So uh, my point is, you know, give give some other people a shot. There's no conference that's that deep, and I think the Big Ten just proved that in my opinion. Uh, uh, and like you just said, in, in tournament situations, you can have a veteran team coming out like Oral Roberts, a pretty veteran team with a big-time player who can hit from anywhere in the gym, but then you augment that with another guy that scores, what, 25 or 30? You know, that's the guy they didn't stop, you know? and uh, Purdue, was, Purdue was even worse, Tim. Yeah, Purdue you're right. Played, you're right. North Texas had a pretty simple game plan, right? They were going to double the big man. For Purdue, pretty yeah. good one, right? Yeah. And they couldn't respond. They 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 were sleepwalking to a game. And I was again texting my buddies of this endless thread, and I'm saying, why are they acting like this is a game against Minnesota in January? You know, yeah. they're they're grinding out a win when you're the better team, you got to take it to them. Um, you know, Rutgers was a good story. I was glad they got in the tournament, but they didn't they didn't play well either yesterday. So the Big Ten bashing, I do think, is a little bit convenient, though, because the Big 12's having just as many struggles in this tournament. I mean, Texas lost, West Virginia lost. They've had some other teams that you're like, well, where are they at? But I just think the Big Ten, for outsiders, whether it's bull season or the NCAA tournament, people do like to bash the Big Ten a little bit. Yeah, it is it's pretty funny. Illinois loses to upstate Loyola, you know, and uh... – Texas use, loses to outstate out there in the West Texas, uh, Abilene Christian. I mean, those did. I'm telling you, those pills did not go down well, man. And uh, among that, uh, those that fandom. Hey, last thing uh, before I go, I had Paul Feinbaum on here uh, a few weeks ago, and I want to ask you this question. Back to football, uh, and you can take a second, second or two, just kind of a little bit on left field. Is there a program you've got your eye on right now that no one else uh, is really talking much about or paying much attention to? that you think could make a rise you know, this year. And, you know, just give me somebody, because we all know the big three are position, maybe the big four, because Oklahoma really righted itself last year after the year got going and uh, was a better team definitely than it was at the beginning of the year. But that was a that was, that was was a non-referendum year last year, in my opinion, on anything. It was just, can you get the Saturday and play a game, you know? But uh, is there a team out there, a program, that you've got your eye on, like a Florida or somebody, because Florida left everybody with a sour taste in their mouth, in my opinion, at least as far as I was concerned. But is there anybody you you got your eye on right now that could could make a, could make a rise that people aren't paying attention to? Enough attention. Enough attention. No, to. I, I think the most interesting program they've already kind of made a rise. 
most interesting program to me in 2021 is Iowa State with Matt Campbell. And you look for that kind of team that could they be a party crasher? Could they win the Big 12? Um, Matt Campbell alone, here's a guy that we all know. He's an Ohio guy. So I pay attention to those guys a little more. He was uh, when Urban Meyer retired before it was done so quickly, a lot of people would have said, well, Matt Campbell fits for Ohio State. That yeah. was a thing. Um, he's done a fantastic job at Iowa State, one of the most unlikely places where you could build something like he has. One thing that always catches my attention, too, is look at the guys they had come back, quarterback, tight end, running back, all NFL players. Yeah. They, they have NFL skill guys all over that offense, and they had an off, a defensive player, defensive player in the Big 12 – Big 12 player of the year comes back. So the culture's there. And I think he's a big part of that. And they're a team that's beat Oklahoma twice and beat Texas twice and could make that run. They make the run of the Big 12 championship game. They lose last year. But is there something there where they, he could push them over the top? They, If I was in Vegas and I was just betting on one of those, I don't even know what their odds are, one of those wild, put a few bucks down and see what happens, they would probably be that team because – I don't see anybody in the Big Ten beating Ohio State. I don't know that the Pac-12 can produce a playoff team other than Oregon. I'm not going to pick anybody else but Alabama or Georgia to win the SEC. And um, the other, maybe North Carolina in the ACC because they have a quarterback and Mac. They just signed Mac to an extension. They'd be the other one. Yeah. But do they have enough week-to-week consistency to win a division championship and take a legitimate swing at Clemson? That's the big thing there. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Bender, Sporting News, one of my good friends. We're good friends, aren't we, Bill? Yeah. Well, no, I said this is, I think, the third or fourth time on here, and I was joking before I came on. You know, last time I was on here, one of my friends said my hair was a mess, and I spilled a water all over my computer, so I was scrambling around. Hopefully, I was more focused, <laughs> and I got some hair cre- – I'm going to have to uh, – you know, I got some hair care products for men now. It's oh. called Mo- Monate. And uh, my friend Julie can set your les- listeners up. And so, yeah, you got me switching shampoos and watching where I put my drinks now and always an enjoyable uh, thing. Hopefully my hair looks a little bit better now. I'm just yeah. glad I still have some. Yeah, they say the TV camera adds five pounds or 10 pounds to your weight and uh, and really messes with your hair. So, uh, yeah, you did a good job today prepping. And I always appreciate it, Bill. Whether no matter what you look like, for the people listening to us without the television <laughs> screen, the YouTube aspect of it, I mean, I think they probably think you're a handsome dude. What do you think? I don't know. I, I you know, I'm just hope, hoping to, you know, I got a face for radio and writing, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, I always enjoy coming on here with you. And uh, hopefully we can get on into it in the summer, have a more normal oh, Big yeah. Ten season. And um, I think we will. I mean, you can check out what we have at Sporting News. I've obviously been doing more on the college basketball side for the past month, but can't wait to jump into some football here soon. Yeah, uh, awesome war die, man. We marvel at the fact, you know, you're covering a college football game some, you know, on a Saturday and a pro football game on Sunday and stuff. You know, you're a, you're a uh, Swiss Army knife when it comes to the Sporting News, but we appreciate you bringing the sharp edge to the Tim May podcast again. Do you like that analogy there? It's a pretty good one. Yeah, just don't follow my bracket. It's it's awful. I it, you Dude, if anybody says their bracket's good, they're lying right now. You know why there was all this vim and vigor after the Ohio State loss? You know by some idiots. You know out there on the uh, social media and stuff. But uh, uh, there were a lot of brackets that got just blown up, uh, courtesy of the Big Ten. Forget everything else that was going on. And it is crazy how it is crazy the explosion, right? Yeah, and I had Illinois winning it all, but I man up to those. I when I miss something, I say, yeah, I was wrong. But if anybody said, hey, I had Oral Roberts and I had Syracuse and I had UCLA and I had Abilene Christian in the Sweet Sixteen, you're you're lying. And if you're not lying, you you know, like my daughter will flip a coin. That's what you're doing at this point. It is crazy though, because I mean, I don't mean to keep you, but you know, like with Cokeburn there in the middle and stuff. I thought that was going to be the difference for Illinois, you know, and I always look for somebody who's got a pretty good big man that can carry them through the fray, you know, and uh, man, did he get hammered on in that game. And uh, just, you know, I just think Loyola just took it right at him, which is what you want to do. Right. I mean, uh, it's just, just like your, your team, Ohio, U. you know, like you said, as we record this, we don't know what's happening, what the final analysis is going to be against Creighton, but you know, you just like teams that just go at it, man, attack. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, play their style of basketball, stay true to it, and um, keeping everybody involved. Yeah, yeah you, you get everybody involved, it, it 
that doesn't that tends to work. I mean, Arkansas is another team to watch in the second weekend because they do that. So I, I still think it's a fun tournament. It's good to have a tournament, been and you know, but the Big Ten bashing, it's it's just a convenient thing where this is probably has been the most unpredictable tournament in recent memory. And it would be kind of fitting if Gonzaga, a team that that's another school that people either love or hate. If they finally and they haven't played yet as we record this, if they finally break through and, and win it all, it'd be a heck of a story to say they're the first undefeated team since that Indiana grew in nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, well, I would think that bracket's looking better and better for them because when you get one, two, three, and four seeds all falling around the country, you know, uh, the opposition gets maybe a little more predictable. And like you know, you've covered that tournament as much as I have. I used to cover get to help cover that tournament a lot back in the day, and. Uh, well, if you can just get your feet planted through that first round, first round games, then that's when the top seeds kind of really take control a little bit. You know, the the shock and awe is gone, and and uh, they can play their game. If Gonzaga plays its game, it has a great chance. You know, maybe for the first time of winning it all. You agree? Oh, for sure. And they've got three guys that can score: uh, Corey Kispert leading the way, obviously, and Suggs, Tim. They they're they can score, and I, I like teams that can score and control a game that way. Because yeah. they're going to come out and they're going to score 80, 90 points on you, and you're going to have to keep up. And like I said, there's this – well, they play in this conference. Well, they've been winning in that conference for 20 years. They've essentially been the best Pac-12 team for 20 years. And the Pac-12 is playing well in this tournament as, as well. Yeah. So maybe there's something on to that. Maybe Bill Walton's got it all figured out and we don't. And uh, maybe that's the, the best way I could put it. I don't know what he's talking about most of the time, but I'm one of those guys that enjoys listening to it because I know – at the end of the day, you know, my dad used to say he's one of the best players to ever play college basketball. So uh, I'll always have respect for that. Yeah, and man, if you'd have been able to dunk when he was around, remember they they outruled they outlawed the dunk for a while because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, and and some of the other guys that were taking control. Uh, that was a crazy time when you had to drop the ball into the cylinder. I mean, what a what a stupid time to go through to kind of corral things, you know, just let them play. But you're exactly right about Bill Walton, man. No matter what he says, you still like to hear him talk. And uh, it's kind of like Charles Barkley with me. I, I love Charles Barkley and some people don't, but uh, he's my cup of tea forever. Hey, uh, Bill Bender, uh, appreciate you coming on, touching a lot of bases with me, the Tim May podcast. That's why I like to have you on because you are the Army Jeep, the Swiss Army knife uh, of, of sports writing. Thanks for joining the Tim May podcast again, my man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You know, awesome. It's always great to have Bill Bender on. I mean, he keeps his uh, ear to the ground, not just college football, but pro football too, man. Uh, he's he's one of those astute members of the media, correct? Workhorse. I mean, I've seen, been in a press box with him in a number of times where he's got to rush out, file a story on a college game, and then hit hit the road, get on a plane, or drive up the road to Cleveland, to Cincinnati, cover an NFL game the next day. I mean, uh, yeah. Sporting news gets their money's worth and some out of Bill Bender. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, there was a guy named John Spencer, uh, a long-time uh, media guy in the central Ohio, Mansfield area. He used to marvel at me, though, because I'd be sitting in the press box writing a story about uh, IndyCar racing or something, you know, before an Ohio State football game would start and, and vice versa. You know, I'd be sitting at, at, a, at an IndyCar race writing a story about Ohio State football. I mean, you know, you know that, you know that as well as anybody, man. You did those multiple beats back in the day until you kind of morphed into this, uh, uh, what I think is a, a great role as uh, basically the premier reporter covering Ohio State football. I'm just lucky to carry your clubs every now and I appreciate you letting me do that. Some of the, some of the other beats that I had to moon, moonlight on throughout this career, uh, they don't, they're not quite at the IndyCar level. You know, I'm thinking about uh, minor league indoor football back there in Casper, Wyoming. And, yeah. Uh, men's tennis tournaments and no matter what you so no matter what you say I can top this so keep going well, I wouldn't even try to compete with the stuff that you've covered in your career but yes I'm very fortunate and lucky to be able to keep my attention on college football at Ohio State 365 days a year now how about this uh I covered the putt-putt national championship uh over in West Columbus two years in a row they actually used to have that thing it was pretty cool I <laughs> I've long dreamed about being a professional putt putt competitor. It's that would be that would be the crowning accomplishment to my life. You know, sometimes I already get to do a hobby as a real job, but yeah. how about a, how about turning that real hobby into some money? Now that would be then I've really accomplished something. 
But I think you'd be better. In, I think you'd be better playing putt putt than you would be covering it. I mean, I think well, you'd be excellent at that. I am an I am an incredible putt putt player, Sam. I I have won some putt putt tournaments on that you know minor circuit when they would come through, uh, have some qualifiers on. I, I I'm thinking this must be the same thing where it had to be the you know that orange course with just the pure aspect, yeah. no frills. Uh, yeah, when I was a younger younger man, I won one of those in Casper. Of course, the field was not that strong, but I spent a lot, a lot of hours uh, hanging out there with some of my buddies when I was younger. I'd just, you know, get a season pass out there to the Casper Municipal uh, Putt-Putt Golf Course and uh, maybe make some side cash out there against your your, your fellow buddies and, uh, and golf team members. Yeah, those big-time putt-putt courses, the roll, the banking – the rebound off the sideboards and then the cups were all true. I mean, that's what set them apart from the ones you find out, find that have the Flintstone motif or whatever. I mean, you know, and you're hitting between the, uh, hitting through the windmill and it goes up and in which, which vents it going to come out of, nobody knows. But I will say this, you just topped me because uh, you, you were great at what I covered. I always figure whoever's great <laughs> at what I'm covering is topping me. So there you go. That's, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We were going to start squeezing in more golf, and I didn't know that this is how we we're going to do it this week. But yeah, uh, we had to get that in. That was a good memory. I didn't know that that was going to going to pop up. But man, yeah. But the thing about it is, as you well know, everybody makes fun of putt putt, but putting is the essence of golf because you could spend at least as many, if not more, strokes on the putting green than you do getting to the putting green, as we all know. And uh, that has definitely been the albatross I've worn around my neck. I wish I had more albatross scores instead of albatrosses around my neck. Agreed? Drive for show, putt for Dill. There you go. Well, real quick, I mean, I know we probably lost a lot of listeners just uh, on that side venture, but I really don't care <laughs> on that digression. Uh, I think that was fun to do because, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, the guy that ran around and spotted, make sure you had two inches behind the ball, you know, so you could put off. I mean, it was, it was great. But anyway, I digress. Uh, real quickly. Uh, yeah, people keep okay. asking me, and I'm going. You know, we're going to talk about this almost every week. If you had a picking order right now, quarterback, and make it quick, make me. You know, let's let's get through some quick answers here. Yeah. What would be your picking order? You think from what your ear to the ground uh, at Ohio State? You know, I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah, C.J. Stroud uh, is the leader. I think he will win the job eventually. That's he. The way that he was ahead throughout last season is what tells me that. Uh, you know, you could get through the spring game and maybe have a pretty good idea that C.J. Stroud is the leader. I think this spring would be more about validating what Ohio State saw uh, from him last fall. Uh, I know that I know you said quickly, but I want to make it clear that my understanding, everyone asks, well, Jack Miller in the opener was the first one off the bench. Did that mean that he was ahead? Uh, I think, and you and I have talked about this before. My right. understanding is that C.J. Stroud had a minor hamstring injury in week one. It was a precautionary measure not to put him on the field for that. I don't think anybody considered that maybe that would be the perception moving forward that Jack Miller had beat out C.J. Stroud because they don't talk about injuries. That's one of the downsides. But that So that's why I say that. C.J. Stroud, you knew later in the year when the chips were down, you're coming taking Justin Fields off the field in the Sugar Bowl and C.J. Stroud is going out. That is your backup quarterback. You don't yeah. flip a coin and let him, you know, okay, well, it's Jack's turn. That, that didn't happen. As I, as I like to refer to it, uh, use your eyes. You know what I mean? I mean, use your eyes. You know, that's that's. there's going to be a lot of rhetoric coming out of it. Because, you know, as you as you heard me, I asked uh, Ryan Day this week, you know, how, how do you – how do you what's the discipline you have to use to make sure you're not just going off a first impression or a knee-jerk reaction to the way mm -hmm. one guy plays, you know, performs in one particular practice. And, you know, and he's had a lot of practice, pardon the pun, at doing that, Ryan Day has as a head, as a coach. I mean, basically, he's been part and parcel to uh, uh, defining, as I called it, defining and then identifying uh, starting quarterbacks for at least the last 10 years at places he's been, including the NFL. So mm -hmm. it's, it is it is a discipline because, you know, right now, C.J. Stroud looks like the guy. Jack Miller the third may come on big time. Uh, the other McCord, ability to do that, Tim. I mean, yeah. and, and McCord may come on big time, but like you pointed out too, it is so important for those other two guys, whoever the second, third guys are, to be just as involved because that's going to be your backup and your third teamer. Yeah, and I think that you know the way 
everyone looks back to the last high profile, you know, true competition with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. And yeah. you know, did, did they get it right or wrong? I mean, clearly at the time it was the correct decision, uh, you know, to use what happened in a second season down the road for Joe Burrow, you know, you, you give him credit for that. It, it wasn't, a, it wasn't that Ohio state was wrong. The two years that, uh, they or the one year that they were both on the field. Dwayne Haskins was a Heisman finalist. Joe Burrow and LSU were struggling. It, it you know, if you'd have known for sure that Dwayne Haskins was going to go to the NFL, maybe things, uh, you know, work out differently. Maybe you kick yourself about it. But the point is, I think that the way that Joe Burrow developed for multiple years at Ohio State actually winds up working maybe in their favor. They're not going to be able to keep everybody on this roster. That's just a simple fact at quarterback. Only one of them gets to play. Ryan Day, I, I don't believe, has any inclination whatsoever to play two. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, maybe this is a situation now where even though everyone is always such an, in such a hurry to get in the transfer portal that you, you can take this time. And uh, he hasn't, Jack Miller, for, just to talk about him, and, you know, they're in the same class. You can't really separate the two. You don't just need one year and then one spring and that's a final declaration and decision and move on. You can still develop. There could still be injuries. You know, maybe in August you, you do such incredible work that you, you leapfrog. Who knows what's going to happen? But I think that Joe Burrow is an example of the patience that could pay off, even if it doesn't necessarily lend itself to being Ohio State's quarterback. I agree 155%. And like you said, it is, it is a competition. I mean, Jack Miller III has definitely got big-time ability. McCord has definitely got big-time ability. Uh, anything can happen in a competition, you know, and uh, it's funny because I was, I uh, was Twitter messaging with uh, Jack Miller, the third's dad, you know, uh, back in the early mid January and uh, was after the season was over. And he was just talking about, cause you know, the kid had been in uh, COVID-19. It's, it's in my rearview mirror. Cause I've had my second shot now. And I feel not like Superman, but I do feel like a little bit like Batman, a guy who thinks he might be a superhero, but really doesn't. His superpowers come from, you know, accumulating them. You know what I mean? But I digress. Uh, just he marveled at how much his son had changed physically, just physically, in one year under Mickey Marotti and uh, Ohio State. And uh, to count him out, I think, is a little bit of a, you know, it, it's going to be – I just think it's, it's going to be – I'd like to be watching these practices every day because, you know, I would love to see how they're throwing – different passes and things like that, which set them apart. But what I was going to point out was that that uh, derby we watched or got to watch part of several years ago between Dwayne Haskins Jr. and Joe Burrow till they finally had to really pretty much say, well, Dwayne has the lead going into the fall. Kind of is what was said, you know, because mainly he had in his resume that, that uh, comeback win against Michigan uh, the year before going in for JT Barrett. My point was – they didn't. You couldn't have made a mistake with either one because look at the SEC record book right now for quarterback play, and look at the uh, Big Ten record book right now for quarterback play, and both of those names are at or near the top in quite a few of the categories. Agreed. Right, and and that's that's crazy. That's crazy, really, when you think about it. You're you're always going to wonder because Joe, you know, all right, all right, I understand why people ask or you know why that you know suggestion could be out there that if it goes a different way, just because of what. Joe Burrow did in that in that final season and the Heisman and number one pick in a national championship and all that. I think if Ohio State had not been undone by the officiating in the Fiesta Bowl, that they would have beat LSU in that game because their defense was more equipped to stop LSU. But that would have, you know, that and that would have helped, I think, to erase all the uncertainty. Now, again, yep. Ohio State got to beat Joe Burrow in that game. That's, yep. that's here or there. But as you said. Well, that's a big game, maybe right there, brother. I'm telling you, LSU's I understand. was I understand. the real deal. Go ahead. Now. I know. There's no, way I, there's no way I can be proven right or wrong at this point, so it's a lot easier for me to throw that out here on the podcast. But um, And I and I'm wasn't looking for an additional support to this argument. I just think that, you know, nobody at that time when Joe Burrow made his decision thought that, you know, Ohio State had made a major, major mistake. Correct. Not within the Woody, not the teammates. And, and that's not a knock on Joe Burrow at all, because obviously we know what he went on to do. Yeah. But you have to pick one, and everybody saw the upside for Dwayne Haskins, and then he threw for a million yards and 50 touchdowns and went to New York for that year. 
Yeah, I'm just glad Austin Mack went up and got that pass on that third down. You know, that changed everything. I'm talking about at Michigan. <laughs> that, that changed everything, uh, in my opinion, because it gave everybody confidence, including, you know, the receiving core. But just, you know, it's just amazing how things do turn. I don't think they would have made a mistake with either one of those guys, to be honest with you. I think uh, Joe Burrow has shown an, in, an increasing um, – an increasing acumen almost every year I've watched him from the time he was a freshman at Ohio state until now, I thought he was having for playing on a team that couldn't block me and you protect uh, him from me or you on the rush. I thought he was having just a hell of a year as a, as a rookie last year. Uh, and we'll, you know, I, I know you feel the same way. Fingers crossed. He comes back home uh, after that severe injury he suffered, but real quickly before we go, um, by the way, are you going to, Drive by Tom Herman's house and honk the horn because you're pretty close to him there where you're where you're hanging out. Yeah, he wasn't uh, he wasn't hanging out at the airport when I flew in. To uh, you know, he's got a lot of free time down here. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. I'm not going up to spend any more time in Austin. I'm going to keep it in our our home base with my family in Green. This is you know we talked we've talked several weeks about trying to get uh, you know Jerry Emig and Ryan Day to open up a practice or two this spring. You know he. Ryan uh, said on Wednesday when I asked him in that press conference that he would yeah. consider it. Um, one of the benefits, though, as we still are trying to work back towards that full normas- normalcy is, is the chance to work double remotely. So came down uh, to Green, which is in between Austin and uh, San Antonio outside New Braunfels to go to a concert with Allie for our 10th wedding anniversary and bring Liberty down here to see uh, her grandparents, my parents that live down here. Um, and it's great. That's been, I'm glad that Friday, Monday's practice, Wednesday's practice this week, we're not one of those ones that could be potentially opened because we can zoom from anywhere. So that's been one benefit now that like some travels allowed and, you know, getting vaccinated and everything else that there's some opportunity to do stuff like this where normally we wouldn't, when you're talking about the careers that we've had and what spring football is normally like for us. You know, the perimeter of a football field, I was just figuring this up as you were talking there, finishing your thought is about 350 yards, the perimeter. Yeah. And let's say you had 40, 50 media members there. You could station them 15 yards apart. You know what I mean? There is no reason why we can't watch some football practice, you know, except (laughs) And accept is the, is the key word there. And uh, so maybe we'll get to that. I'm talking about social distancing. I'm talking about, you know, you you cattle stay in this corral over here. Like, you know, they always put us in our little corral area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping we get to see some practice because this is this, it's kind of getting to that time now where you kind of like stretch your arms, stretch your, you know, flap your wings a little bit, uh, open things up a little bit more. And let us see uh, a lot of things that are going on because we, you and I both know the quarterback battle. I think you're going to end up with a quality dude there, man. But as you've harped on a million times, it's a million and one finding those starters in the defensive secondary, finding guys who can perform, take care of their responsibility. No, don't let, uh, speaking of corrals, don't let the, you know, don't let the runaways out the gate, uh, et cetera that's as key as anything else is in this football team this spring, correct? Yeah. And, and, you know, even through a couple of days of just talking to Ohio state, we know, you know, some of the challenges that they will face. We already, uh, you know, addressed last week on, on rapid reaction, the court Williams and Cameron Brown, that they'll remain limited throughout camp. So that those are two key pieces. Um, that also then opens up an opportunity for legend Cavasso. So Ryan Watts, uh, Lathan Ransom was doing some of that cover safety, some nickel work, yeah. Um, and also now, you know, Monday, Ryan Day confirmed that, you know, Harry Miller, we talked about him. This, this could be a huge spring for him as he's, you know, needed a full year to adjust to snapping and, you know, making that transition to center. You know, he'll be limited. Uh, I understand a labor and labor injury for him, yeah. uh, for him up front. So, you know, Luke Whipler, maybe Matthew Jones, uh, somebody's going to get those snaps and maybe an opportunity to, to take that job. I still think Harry Miller will be in the lead, as I said before, but you know, these are the things that like you at least you walk in a building and see, all right, well, here's the injury guys. And, and here's where the opportunity lies. It's not, it's no, no problem whatsoever. 
know, you want to have a spring camp, as we talked about last year. It can be overcome if you're a veteran guy. Harry, Harry Miller has that experience. Cameron Brown does as well. Yeah. Uh, they'll come back. But, you know, injuries in spring, those are pretty common. It's But that just means another guy has a chance to either build depth or make it a more interesting competition by August. And that'll yeah. happen now, as yeah. you've touched on before. Garden Center and the secondary. Yeah, I, I was going to say, man, you know, when you're an offensive line coach, even if you're a head coach, man, when you see an offensive line group, you know, by the middle of the spring, you're probably going to start putting, instead of just rolling guys in there, I would think, you know, you're going to start putting the groups together. And when you get a feel for a group, man, that's just coming off the ball together, you know, that's not making mistakes, snaps are where they're supposed to be in the shotgun, uh, et cetera, and there's just a, a rhythm to it, it's hard, you know, to – to go away from that group if you follow my drift. And uh, and just like with a quarterback, you know, once you see a guy who you know every day is making – is definitely making progressions, and I'm not talking about just re- in his progressions of reads, but just progressions in the way he's running the team and getting things done, getting out on the edge and making plays, it's hard to get that out of your head that that's not <laughs> your guys. And, yeah. uh, and like I said a while ago, you know, prefaced uh, – uh, with, you know, I've got a story coming this week on the fact that the coaches have to be as disciplined as the players in the sense of let things play out. You know, the, the guy that's ahead right now may not be the guy who's the right guy at the end of spring or at the end of the, or at the end of fall camp. But I do believe you want to come out of spring with two things. You want to come out with a quarterback you feel pretty good about, and you want to come out with an offensive line that you feel pretty good about. I'm talking about from a clicking standpoint, because – like I've said a million times, the more points you score, the better your defense is, right? <laughs> That's correct. Look at Alabama last year. Alabama, buddy, the reason I thought Ohio State had a shot at Alabama, because I was not impressed with that Alabama defense. And, I, you know, I was not one of the – but, man, they kind of had a, I don't know, a, a certain elan they hadn't had earlier in the year in that championship game. And Ohio State was missing a key piece after the game got started to its offense. And uh, and it showed, right? Yeah, and that's can't argue with that formula, Tim. And yeah. even when even Nick Saban has bought into that philosophy, correct? That tells you all you need to know. That's right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, uh, I like to thank my co-pilot, Awesome. But it's great to have a co-pilot whose name is Awesome because you know if you fall asleep on one of those transatlantic flights or something, he's going to bring that thing into Heathrow. You know, just just nice and smooth, and uh, and of course Bill Bender, one of my favorite guys, man. Uh, he lives in Pickerington, but he covers the world. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of international flights, right? Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to have some of his Marriott points. Yeah, you know, I never have gotten the endings of these things right, man. I've been this. I'm, I'm clo- getting close to my 100th podcast, and the landings of these things are never smooth, but we do always seem to get off the airplane, right? <laughs> We're we're, we're landed. And by the way, just think Green, Texas, G-R-U-E-N-E, right? That's it. Just think if it had been if uh, Willie Nelson had written about that instead of looking back. I'm back to Green, Texas with Waylon, Willie, and the boys. That would not have been a hit. Not quite the same. Yeah, but something had to replace Luke and Bach, and I do believe it's green, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. You know, until next week. This is Tim May for my uh, co-pilot, Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. We'll see you then.